Amen and amen. Every day church, hope you're well. If you've got your Bible, Song of Solomon chapter eight for our 10th and final week. And before we dive into that, I've got a little good news to share with you. First, happy turkey season. Did you guys know that? Okay, all right. If not, more for us. But if you're into that, bust a beak. All right, praise God. Uh, hey, you remember last week we prayed for Pastor Ben, just in case you don't know what's happening. A week and a half ago on Wednesday, we were in Disney together. He had a seizure. They did a brain scan, found a a mass in his brain. The prognosis a week ago Wednesday was not good whatsoever. We were praying like crazy at our Thursday service and our Sunday services that things would be different by the time he got here, got to a local hospital, and they did all the stuff. And praise God, I've got good news. Uh, He had surgery on Wednesday. They removed the mass from his brain, and I don't want to put words in the surgeon's mouth, but he was extremely positive about it. He thinks they may have gotten it all. And so from the first prognosis to where they are now is like miraculous. Amen? Praise God. And so... Carrie, Ben's wife, wanted me to say thank you to our church for praying. Thank you at all of our campuses. And I would also like to say particularly, because we prayed for him at all of our campuses, and most of our campuses prayed very quietly, you know, fervently, but just prayed like this. But uh, Chaplain Cop Baker said that you guys brought the heavens down, that y'all were calling down fire from heaven. So thank you for praying like crazy. <laughs> also, another update is while I was, while me and the elders on Wednesday were at the hospital praying for Pastor Ben, after he goes in, uh, there's another husband and wife that come walking by, and she had that, like, I think you're my pastor look, you know, and I don't know that she'd ever seen me in three dimensions, only two, so she comes up and says, like, are you? I'm like, yeah, and so we were able to anoint them, him with oil and pray with them before they went in. Uh, his name is James Williams. His wife's name is Rebecca. No relation to Ben and Carrie Williams, but I want you to know that his, his surgery was also successful, and he is at home recovering, and so also be praying for James and Rebecca. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. Good news. Good, good news. All right, if you got your Bibles, we're gonna dive in. We're gonna spend our final week in the Song of Solomon talking about how to raise a daughter. Now, the moment that we publicized that this is what we were talking about this week, the, the, the biggest email we got back is, well, why not how to raise a son? Because that's not what this chapter in the Bible is about. I don't make it up. I don't write it. I just deliver it. Now, I will say, raising a son is very important. I'm doing that too. Um, And if you would like to hear about this, about two or three or four or some years ago, it all runs together for me now, I did a five-week series called Act Like Men. And so if you want a a parenting series on how to raise sons, because what we're trying to raise, you're not trying to raise a boy, you want to raise a young man. And so there's a five-week series on what it means to act like a man, and so go back and listen to that. But today we're going to talk about how to raise a daughter, because that's how the end of the Song of Solomon is. And I do still think this is for everyone. Because there's a whole bunch of you and you are daughters. And you never graduate from being a daughter if you've ever been a daughter. And so that's probably about half the crowd here. And then there's a whole bunch of you and you either have daughters or you will have a daughter. Did you know this weekend at all of our campuses, we will have about 1,700 girls from from senior high all the way down to zero. So we got a bunch of daughters around here. Or there's a bunch of you and one day you hope to marry somebody's daughter. So pay close attention. And I will just say this. Our world would be a whole lot better off if we knew how to better love, honor, and cherish every daughter of the king, amen? And especially at the church. And it is a high, holy calling to all you dads of daughters out there. I told you this before, one of the happiest moments of my whole life was the day I found out that Gretchen and I were having a boy, all right? 
Found out we're pregnant, got, well, mostly her, but I'm a part of it, and so super nervous. I went to all the meetings, all the appointments, you know, some of them get weird, but I went to all of them, I was there. And then we get to that one where you're gonna find out the sex of the kid. And you go to that doctor, ours was a little lady, she was about this big, and she puts that little goop on your wife's belly, and then got that little magic wand thing, and you're looking, man, you're looking at this screen, looks like poltergeist, y'all don't know what it is, if you're younger, you, my age, you remember poltergeist, and you're just staring at this like gray abyss, and you're looking, you're like, is that, is that, was that it, no, no, okay, what are we looking at, I don't even know what it looks like. And then, eventually, she says to me, Mr. Martin, congratulations, it's a boy. And I was overwhelmed with excitement. In fact, I picked the lady up. I scooped her up. Gretchen said, put her down. So I put her back down. I'm pumped. Because I prayed for a boy. I was pumped about it. I've been a boy. I, was, I mean, I was into it. I went out in the hall, called my daddy. He said, Daddy, I made a boy. And he said, boy, I knew you had it in you. That's what he told me. So we named him JP. He's the fourth. I'm the third. My daddy's junior. The original is Joseph Perry Martin Sr. We're into me at my house. You understand what I'm saying, okay? Pump. Four years later, pregnant again. Back in the same lady's office, she's looking at me with fear and trepidation. She puts the goopy stuff on. We're looking into the, what are we seeing? I don't see it. And then she goes, congratulations, Mr. Martin. It's a girl. And Gretchen says, you gonna be okay? And I said, I'm gonna be okay. Now, let me tell you why. Not because there's any, not, one's not better or worse. Actually, one is better. The girl is way better. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, being a girl dad is the best, but I, it was like fear and trepidation, you understand? Because it wasn't like, I didn't know my girl yet, this was just like the idea of girl. I've never been a girl. I don't know what to do. I've been a boy, I know what to do. If they get, you just smack them around, get them in line, they'll be all right, you know what I'm saying? But girls are tender and precious, and I mean, it's just, ah, and, and, we're at war. We live in a war zone right now where this culture is trying to tear down everything good and godly that God has in store for you girls. And the enemy is lying to you every day of your life to try to get you to believe that if you're not, if you're not beautiful, then you're not lovable and you're certainly not valuable. And I began to think, oh my goodness. And so I began to pray and prepare and get ready. And, and then I'm gonna tell you, man, on, on the day she was born, on October 5th, 2009, Everything changed. Everything changed. I, I mean, and you parents know this, man. You've been there, right? If you were there, <clears throat> I was there when JP was born, and people say, it's beautiful. They're liars. It ain't beautiful. It is like the back end of a horror flick. It ain't beautiful. Ain't nothing beautiful about that situation whatsoever, okay? I wish it was old school. We just wait out there and smoke a cigar and say, it's a boy. I'd be like, all right, see you in an hour. All right, that'd be better. But when we were, I was in there. And it's crazy, you know, and anyway, there's gnashing of teeth, and then they, he was born, and they wrapped him up in that little burrito of love and handed it to you, you know, and you look at him, and you think, oh, there's the little me. He looked like Hulk Hogan. That's what he looked like. He had a skullet. You know what a skullet is? Like bald on the top, mullet in the back. And I remember holding him thinking, look at him. You can take the boy out of Dylan, but you can't take the Dylan out of the boy. That's mine. You know, you don't know what to do, so you put him over there in that little thing that keeps the chicken nuggets warm, and you check on mama, you know, so... Then we get ready for round two for Reagan. And so I was a little more prepared this time. I stayed way up on the north side of Gretchen. I would just peek over to bed. Hey, baby, we good? I'll be back here if you need me. And then here's the thing, though. If you've had two kids, you ask this question. You don't ask it out loud because you'll sound like a horrible person. But you will ask. I mean, you will, in your, in your own internal dialogue, you begin to think, can I love the second one like I love the first one? Because I feel like all the love that I had to give, I poured out on the first one. Do I have anything, to, anything left to give the second one? It's a legitimate fear that you have. And then that day Reagan was here. Hers took like a second. It was like, huh, huh, boom, here we are. 
And they wrapped her up and they handed her to me. And I'm holding my daughter. And I remember thinking two things simultaneously. I would die for you. And I would make somebody die for you. <laughs> That's not a joke, man. I mean, for real. And then that moment, I realized that I still had all the love to give the second one. Why? Because even though I poured out all the love that I had on the first one, I still had all the love to give on the second one because love is an inexhaustible resource because the Bible says that God is love. And this little girl is the light of my life. Here's a picture of Reagan Capri. She is 11 years old now. And I'm just telling you, it's not like we posed for that. We were just at our neighbor's house playing beanbag toss, and we won. So that's how she, and listen, this little girl, that's how she treats me most of the time. It's like having a lab puppy. You go out to the mailbox, and you come back. She's like, Dad's home. I was like, I was just here, but I'll take it again, okay? And we cuddle and hug and snuggle and all of that sort of stuff. And she sits, she doesn't even sit next to me. She'll sit on me and just rub my head like this. That's how she treats me. And she is girly, but she's also tough. We went fishing the other day and caught this big old ditch pickle. Look at that, okay? She caught five fish. I'm talking about the love of my life, all right? I love this little thing. And it is a high and holy calling that God would put her in my life for me and Gretchen to raise. And again, I think there is an enemy. I know there is an enemy looking to steal, kill, and destroy everything good and godly that God wants to put in her. And it is a part of my job to help provide and protect and aim her in the right direction. And fundamentally, what I hope to get across is this, girls, is that I want you to just know how valuable you are. Because if you could know how valuable you are, if you just knew that you were not your own, you were bought at a price, that God loved you so much, and this is true for boys too, but if you knew that God, when he decided how much you were worth, he decided to pay with the blood of his own son, and if you could begin to see yourself the way he sees you, then it would be a lot easier for you to do the things he's told you to do. That it's not so much about changing your practice as it is changing your perspective because if you had his perspective of you, then your practice would be in line. And the seven verses that we're gonna look at have been foundational for me in my attempt to raise my little girl in this crazy world. You see, perspective is everything. When I was in college, <clears throat> I think I was a sophomore or junior or something like that, and I was, I was the camp pastor at the camp that I got saved at, this little podunk camp in Bennettsville, South Carolina that I've told you about. And one of the rules there is that you couldn't date other counselors, but we didn't let that stop us, and so I was going out with this girl, this godly girl from South Carolina, and you couldn't really date anyway. It was like sharing Skittles at the canteen. You know, you're at camp. What you gonna do? And so, but occasionally, we'd get a weekend off. And so we had this weekend off, and I went to pick her up, and I was gonna take her to the movie, I don't know, whatever we were gonna do. And I pull up to her house, and she was one of 12. She had 11 brothers and sisters, one of 12. She had eight brothers, all older than her. They all played football. They all played college football. And when I came to pick her up, all eight brothers were at her house that day, okay? <laughs> and when I pulled up, I got there a little bit early, and she wasn't ready, because why would you be ready on time? That'd be silly. And her dad comes out of the house and says, come here, boy, I want to show you something. And he takes me out to the back of his house to his barn. Everybody in Lakeview, South Carolina, has a barn, and he had a barn. And what he would do as a hobby is he would rebuild old cars, antique cars. And his specialty were 57 Chevys. And so he takes me in there. He's like, hey, you into cars? And I'm like, oh, I'm totally into cars. I'm not super into cars. I'm not anti-car, but I just, you got to act like it, you know, because I'm trying to take his daughter out. And so he says, look at this one. It was a pile. He just bought it. And then the second one was about halfway done. And then the third one was in mint condition. And he takes the tarp off or the cover off of this car. It's a covered car in a covered barn. You understand what I'm saying? 
And then we begin to walk around this thing and it is this cherry red mint condition, red and white, 57 Chevy. And he opens up the hood, man. He picks that thing up like that. And he's like, boy, this here, this ain't the inline six. This is the four barrel carburetor, whatever that stuff is, you know. I don't understand, but I gotta act like I know what I'm talking about. So I just do what you do in sermons when you're trying to act like you're into it. And I'm like, mmm, I'm just moving. Mm, oh, it's so good, you know. Then we go walking around, he's telling me all about the drivetrain and where he got all the parts, and he says, hey, you wanna crank it up? I was like, yes, sir, I'd love to crank it up. And he gives me the keys, I open the door, I get in, and I kick that thing up, whop, 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 I mean, it's loud, and I gotta goose it just enough that he knows I'm a man, but not too much that he thinks I'm a rebel. You understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to ride that line, oh, he cuts it off. And then he says, how would you like to take this car out tonight on your date? And I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. I was like, I'd love to. And he goes, well, let me ask you some questions. I put a lot of money and effort and energy into this thing. You wouldn't get some food and eat it inside and mess up my interior, would you? I was like, oh, no, I would never do that. No, sir, no way. And he goes, you wouldn't park next to some other car and let somebody door ding this thing, right? I know, sir, I'd park all the way on the other side and just hitchhike back to wherever we were going. No problem, I'll put police tape around it, that's fine. And he goes, now listen, you wouldn't race it with you because we live in South Carolina, so at every stoplight, there's gonna be a mullet and a Camaro daring you, come on, get some. No, I would never race it. He's like, oh, so you would take care of it? Yes, sir. Inside it out? Yes, sir. Okay, he's like, cool. Couple things. One, there's no way in the world I'm letting you drive my 57 Chevy. You out of your mind? And then he said, I'll never forget, man. He looks it right at me and he says, and let me tell you something. What I'm about to let you take out for the next two or three hours is infinitely more important than this hunk of metal. You take care of my daughter. So we got in my 89 Pathfinder. Plenty of room for Jesus in there with, between me and her. I don't know what we did. We went to the movie or something. I brought her home 45 minutes early. Why? Because I understood what he was talking about and what he was saying is she is so valuable. And I began to take on his perspective that night. I hope and I pray to the moms and dads, you will speak that kind of value into your kids. To the brothers, you would treat your sisters in Christ around here with that kind of value. And to the daughters, you would know you are valuable and you should be treated as valuable. Chapter eight, verse eight, starts out this way. The brothers are talking. Remember, nowhere in the, in the book is her father mentioned. So by the way, I'm gonna talk about parenting a bunch and I know there's a bunch of single parents here, especially single mamas. You are heroes, you are heroes. I don't know how you do it, but I know, but with God's grace, that he has given you everything you need to accomplish everything that he has called you to accomplish. Amen. Now. They say, the brothers say, we have a little sister and she has no breasts. Well, that's a bummer. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? Now, they're not necessarily talking about her anatomically. They're talking about her age. We have a little sister and she's prepubescent. She hasn't grown yet. She's 10, 11 years old, that kind of thing. That's what they're saying. And then they say, what shall we do for our sister? Listen, brothers, not, shall, not what shall we do to our sister, but what shall we do for our sister? These brothers are the authority in her life. One of the first things I taught my son, JP, he's 15, he's 15 years old now, but when Reagan was born, he was like four. And from the very beginning, from the moment we brought her home, I would tell him, boy, your number one job on this planet is take care of Reagan. And I mean, we beat that thing into his head ad nauseum. We'd be out in public, and I'd say, boy, what's your number one job? You're gonna protect Reagan. We could be at a place with some friends and stuff, and if I couldn't see him, I could just look at him and go, I could hold up one finger, he'd go get Reagan. I, and I just wanted him to understand that that's his job. In fact, one time we were at the St. John's Town Center on my annual trip there at Christmas to go see Santa when the kids were little, and JP comes running up, kind of white-faced, like, oh, I feel like I need to tell you something, I'm kind of scared to say it. You know, one of those things? And he comes up, I'm like, what's up, dude? And uh, he's probably six, seven years old. 
And then I hear a kid crying over in the little playground. I'm like, why is that kid crying? And he go, well, he pushed Reagan off the slide. And I go, well, but why is he crying? So then I pushed him off the slide. <laughs> Pound it, buddy, right here, booyah, okay? <laughs> Let's go to Dick's and get whatever you want from Dick's Sporting Goods. Now he's in high school, and they go to the same school, and I've just told him, hey, listen, man, you will not be a bully, okay? This is not provocation, this is protection. If somebody's messing with your sister, you handle it. And the school's gonna kick you out of school, no problem. I'm not even gonna defend you. I'll take you to Disney for a week. That is fine, why? And I know, I'm gonna get some feedback, that's fine. Are you raising a child to be violent? Yes, yeah, you do you at your house, all right? You and your snowflake sit in timeout, however you wanna do it, that's fine. But I'm telling you, the Bible says, from John the Baptist until today, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent men take hold of it. Now, you be tough for, not tough with, you be tough for. And so, here's why too. When he had about seventh or eighth grade, I've been planning this for four or five years and I said, listen dude, listen. You know, when he became interested in some other girls and that kind of stuff, especially now as a ninth grader, and I just tell him this, hey listen, what's your number one job? Protect Reagan. And I go, they're all Reagan. Every single one of them is the daughter of the king. And so we love, honor, and cherish every single one of them. Their brothers are saying, here's what they're doing, while she's little, she's a little sister, and they're saying, what shall we do for our sister on the day that she gets married? They're not just thinking about the temporary, and here's the problem if you're gonna parent, especially daughters, man. You gotta think with the end in mind. You gotta think about that day that you're gonna walk her down the aisle and parent towards that and I get it, man, if you got little kids, you're just trying to make it to night, night time right now. I understand, you're in baby jail and it's tough. But what they are doing is they begin with the end in mind. They are thinking about her future. And what they are doing is they are willing to not give her what she wants, but give her what she needs to be who God has called her to become. That's what they say on the day in which she is spoken for. Because there comes a day, dads, you're gonna put your daughter probably on your arm and walk down the aisle and literally and figuratively you are taking her hand out from under your authority and handing her over to some other guy. And you want to make sure that God has used you to create the kind of environment where she can be the godly woman God has called her to be. It's a scary, scary moment. I did a wedding about four or five years ago for this family I know pretty well. The guy comes walking down the aisle with his girl. He's got two boys and a girl. She's the youngest. He's a mess, man. He's tough as nails, too. And he's just crying. <laughs> you know? The tough guys cry at weddings hardcore. Just suck that lip in. <laughs> you know, it ain't good. And that's him. And he walks her up there, and he looks at the, the groom-to-be. And I ask, you know, the, who gives this girl to be married to this man? He says, her mother and I. And then he goes to give that man hug to the groom, you know, where you grab the fist real hard like this. And in this hand, he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a bullet, a 357 Magnum bullet. And he hands it to this guy. And he leans in like this, but the crowd can't see it. The crowd thinks, look how sweet this is. This father is praying over this young man. And so he leans in like this and he says, boy, this is a 357 Magnum made right here in the United States of America. It stands for character, it stands for honor, it stands for integrity, and if you don't treat my daughter that way, then the next ones are coming much faster. <laughs> That's what he said. And I don't wanna tell you who it is, but his initials are Scott Putnell. All right, so anyway, <laughs> that's a fact. So ultimately, the way that she ends up, where she ends up is not by accident. Her brothers, the authority in her life, 
They help work with her. She's, for sure, she's autonomous. She's gonna make all kind of decisions on her own, but they are trying to put her on the right path that leads to the destination that she wants to be in because it is direction, not intention, that determines destination. It is direction, not intention, that determines destination. And so here are the, here's the clause that they come up with. If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. If she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. What does that mean? That we wanna play the role in her life that she can be the mature woman that God has called her to be. And if, if she is a wall, in other words, if she is impenetrable, if she understands that sex is a gift from God and she is mature enough not to allow an immature male who's not ready to stand up and act like a man. You know what it takes to be a man? You gotta be ready to love your girl like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So if, if you're coming to take, you ain't ready. And if you're coming to take, then she's saying, nope, I'm a wall. Nope, you ain't Instagramming me and you ain't DMing me and you're not tweeting me and just quit texting me. No, I am a wall. And they say to her, if she's a wall, we'll throw a wedding for her like you've never seen. But if she is a door, in other words, when some boy comes knocking and she says, yeah, come on in, they are saying, if you're not mature enough to handle the gift of sex that God has given you, we will make sure that you don't misuse it. Because the crazy thing is, is if you misuse sex, it will misuse and abuse you. The sex is for married people, not gonna be married, not wanna be married, not married in your heart, there's no such thing. But it's for married people. And they, they're basically saying, hey listen, you can ruin your life as an adult, but we will not watch you ruin your life as a kid. And so, these are the preconditions they give. Now, do you remember what she thought about her brothers? Do you remember all the way back in chapter one, here's what she said about her brothers. She said, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked at me, but my mother's sons were angry with me. She didn't even call them her brothers. In other words, she's so frustrated when she had to go to work in the field She's like, my brothers are so mean to me, won't let me have Instagram and don't let me do TikTok and everybody else has got a phone and I don't have a phone and I got a farmer's stand because I got to work out here. She's so frustrated that in chapter one, she says, my mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyard, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Her brothers loved her enough to say, hey, listen, you're not gonna do this the way all the other girls are doing this. You're gonna have a job and you're gonna work out here in the vineyard. And what's crazy is though, even though she didn't like it, she submitted to her brother's authority. And here's the thing, all of us are under authority. And submission is not submission until you don't like it. We, you don't submit to the Lord until his commands don't line up with what you want to do. Up until that point, it's just convenient. And yet, somehow, in humility, even though she didn't like it, she was mature enough to submit to her brother's authority. And so the reality is, is you can discipline without love, but you cannot love without discipline. And they did not give her what she wanted, they gave her what she needed. And so, after years of working in the vineyard, she says in verse 10, I was a wall. I was a wall and my breasts were like towers. Well, praise God. And then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Listen, when you read this in Hebrew, your head was supposed to explode. You see, she's saying, her brothers say, all right, if you're a wall, this is how it goes, and if you're a door, this is how it goes. And she says to them, I was a wall, and now I'm grown up, that's what the tower breast thing is about. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds, that word peace in English is shalom. You know what the proper name of shalom is? Shalomon, or we call it Solomon. 
What she is saying is, I thought my brothers were mad at me and mean to me because they didn't give me what I want, and little did I know that what I thought was pain and punishment was actually preparation and provision. I was a peasant working in the field, and little did I know that God was preparing me to find peace, to find Solomon. You see, this is kind of like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Remember how it started? I'm mad at my brothers because they made me work in the field. Look what happened. Verse 11, Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He let out the vineyard to the keepers. Guess who keepers were? Her brothers were the keepers of the vineyard, paying the lease to Solomon. They make her sister work in the field, and little does she know she is a peasant, and God was preparing her to be a princess, because as God was developing her character in the field, then she would find peace, she would find Solomon. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the of the fruit 200. We are supposed to read this and say, oh my goodness, God has been at work behind the scenes the entire time. What she thought were some grumpy older brothers just keeping her from having fun were actually loving authority in her life trying to get her on a pathway that led to where she wanted to be. Do you understand what a big deal this is? And students, listen to me, students. I know, I know you don't wanna listen to your parents right now, okay? And a lot of times the reason you don't wanna listen to your parents is you think like they have no idea what is going on in this world. And the reason you think that is because of their phone and fashion. You're like, my dad can't even, every time he, I'm like, dad, your light's on again in your pocket. <laughs> Seriously? All right, so, so you think he's dumb. And then secondly, you look at him and you think, I just don't think I could take advice from somebody who wears Crocs and socks right now. I don't know that I could do this. <laughs> it's true. But the reality is, is that nobody loves you like they do Nobody knows you like they do, and nobody is more for you than they are. And I, it's not submission until you disagree. And it, it happens to all of us. Listen, man, I'm 47 years old. When my dad was awesome until I got to about 10. When I hit about 13 or 14, I don't know what happened to him. He lost his mind. He was the dumbest person on the planet. And then somehow, when I hit about 19 or 20, he regained his intelligence, and then he became a genius. Anybody else have that experience? Right. Students, man, I'm telling you, your parents are for you, they're for you. And what, 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 what her brothers are doing is they are trying to put her on a trajectory that leads somewhere. And you remember, you remember when we talk about this, what a godly woman is. Now, when I talk to women about what it means to become a godly woman, we have a very extensive list. But when I talk to men about the kind of godly, the, the kind of godly woman they're looking for, I boil it down to just four things that all start with H because you know the, the fellows aren't that smart and I need them to remember. And what you're looking for is a woman that's holy, hardworking, humble, and hot. And I, we'll get to hot at the end. But you're looking for a girl that's holy. And what we find here is that the Shunammite woman is holy. And first and foremost, what it means to be holy, holy means to be set apart, and none of us by our own works are holy. None of us by our own good deeds are righteous. In fact, our own righteous deeds are as filthy rags before the Lord. So ultimately, what this means to be set apart for the Lord means that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That the only reason, only reason you can claim to be holy and blameless, like the New Testament says believers are, is because of what Christ has done on the cross. And you believe that when he died on the cross, somehow that counted for you. When he says it is finished, he put to death your sin. And the Bible says that God made him who was without sin to be sin for us, that we would be made the righteousness of God. And she is set apart, she is different, and then she begins to live that out because when she says, I was a wall, what she is saying here is, I did not live for the approval of someone. Boy, but I was living for the approval of the God that loves me. 
She is holy. And she is hardworking. She worked in the vineyard. You wanna raise a hardworking girl. And fellas, if you're, if you're dating a girl right now and trying to figure out if, if, if she's marriage type, I'm just gonna tell you, if she ain't hardworking, you better watch out. Because every single one of us live on a continuum between gratitude and entitlement. And if she thinks that you and your little dumb degree from UNF is gonna provide her a nicer home and a better Barbie Jeep than her rich dad bought her, run for us, run, because you're marrying a problem. You want to marry a hard-working girl, because I'm just telling you, especially like, you talk to every mama in here, it's the hardest job on the planet. You don't ever get to clock out. I don't know how Sabbath applies to mamas of babies and stuff like that. She is hardworking. My wife is a hard-working girl, man, hard-working, and she oozes gratitude. The other day, when it was sunshine this week, we're sitting on our back deck watching a bluebird build a nest. That's what we do now. Welcome to Almost 50. That's what you have to look forward to. And loving every minute of it. You wanna go somewhere? Why would we go when we got the bluebird right here? And she looks over at me, and she says, thank you for working so hard. And I was like, I didn't work hard for this. I'm trying to just do my job in the kingdom, and thank God that we can be provided for her. She was like, just, she says, thank you. You know what she's doing? She's oozing gratitude, not entitlement. Gratitude is being thankful for what you have. Entitlement is focusing on what you don't. This is a hardworking girl, and she's also humble. She is humble. Remember, we, we said she was humble at the beginning because of the way she talked about herself. She said, don't stare at me. I'm not much to look at. I've been working hard. I got a farmer's stand. But yet she was confident. She said, she said she was lovely. And here we find out this humility that she submitted to the authority in our, her life even when she didn't agree with it. You see, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. So you wanna raise, this is true for everybody, but you wanna raise a daughter that knows what it means to submit to authority. Guys, if you're going out with a girl and wondering if she's marriage material, pay attention how she submits to her teachers, her coaches, her parents, the, the authority that God has placed in her life. And most importantly, does she submit to King Jesus and his perfect leadership? Because if she doesn't know how to submit to his perfect leadership, what do you think is gonna happen when she has to, according to the scriptures, submit to your very imperfect leadership? This girl is... Holy, hardworking, humble, and last, I know I shouldn't say hot, I understand the implications and all that. The word is really attractive. But you'll remember hot way better. So, here's the thing though. What we see throughout the Song of Solomon is it's not just an external beauty. That's not what we're talking about here. In fact, she didn't think she looked that awesome, but in Solomon's eyes, he thought she was awesome. Remember on their honeymoon when she takes off her clothes, he says to her, you are altogether lovely. There is no flaw in you. And the reason he can say that is because she, she is his standard of beauty and she always looks like her. So he says to her, you look perfect because she is her. But it's so much more than that. Listen, <clears throat> if you spend, daughters, if you spend all of your time and effort and energy just trying to improve the external, it's gonna be a miserable life for you. And the reason is because you have two enemies coming after you faster than you know, time and gravity. They are not your friend. I know some of y'all like 25 and flexible and can eat a pizza at night and go, ooh, and just feel great. All right, there is coming a day where you gotta drink an Advil smoothie just to make a Monday. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> can I get a witness from the 40 and up crowd, praise God, all right? And stuff's gonna move and you're gonna hit car bumps and be like, why is it still bouncing? It ain't good, man. It ain't good. And you can fight it. If you got a little pocket change, you can fight it in this culture. You can, man. You can, you can go and nip it and tuck it and clip it. And if it's big, you can make it little. A little make it big and change it and curl it. Whatever, bro. You can do. You look like, but I'm just going to tell you. You do that long enough, 
and you look like Miss Potato Head, just all like. You're like, why are you so surprised by this? This is my face. That's what it does now, okay? So be, just be careful. And if you build it on the physical, it will be so shallow. It will be so shallow. And so what we're talking about here is her, she, she, she continuously grows in her character, and Solomon is attracted to that character. You know what the Bible says about the woman that only focuses on the external? It's Proverbs 11.22, funny enough, says this, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. I mean, think about this. If you went up to the swamps of South Georgia with me and we were tromping through the woods and you saw a gold ring, you were like, my precious, and you go sneaking up on it and there's a big boar hog in the mud, you'd be like, what a waste. A 24 karat gold ring and the snout of a slimy, stinky, hairy, muddy boar hog. What a waste. And if you are just beautiful knockout externally and your beautiful face and hair and body and all that and you got an ugly soul, I'd say, what a waste. What a waste. And so her brothers are working on this. They put her in an environment that leads in this direction. And she is saying, thank you for that. In fact, the opposite of that we find in Proverbs 31. The Bible says this, her children rise up and call her blessed. Think about that for a minute, mamas. Can you imagine you wake up, or you don't even have to wake your kids up. They just rise up on a Saturday. What are you doing? I just wanted to bless you. (laughs) Apparently that can happen. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Here's what he says about her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. She has been on a path with the help of her brothers, the authority in her life towards holiness, hard work, humility, and attraction for her whole life. I haven't done this in any of the other services, but thank you, Randy and Joy. My my in-laws are right over here. The real pretty one, and then my father-in-law, okay? (laughs) Honestly, and thank you. Thank you that you raised your daughter, my wife, and my daughter's mama the way that you did. That she would be hardworking, she'd have to like milk cows, they grew up on a farm, she's hardworking, she had a farmer stand and all that stuff too. That she is holy, thank you for raising her into church and taking her to camp and introducing her to Jesus. And that she is so humble, she is so humble. Thank you that you instilled in her, and I don't know about what she doesn't have, but she's grateful for what she does have, and mostly joy. Thank you for the hot part, thank you. All right, so. This is how the book ends, verse 13. Oh, you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle and a young stag on the mountains of spices. You know what the mountains of spices are? You know exactly what they are. You were well-versed in Song of Solomon. It's just like, remember the book started this way, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth and come like a young stag to the hills of Bether. All right, these are the same hills. And so in this book, she talks first, she talks last, she talks most. Sound like your marriage? Mine too. So here's what this is saying. This is the Bible way of saying, and they lived happily ever after. But happily ever after does not happen by happenstance. Their marriage has been talked about as a garden, and you will never neglect the garden into a fruitful bounty. It takes a lot of hard work, mutually submitted to one another, a whole lot of weeding and tilling and nurturing, 
And this is, this is Song of Solomon's version of till death do us part or they lived happily ever after. Now, how did this happen? Here's the point. A path to happily ever after is paved with patience and purity, protection, and provision. So as we close out the Song of Solomon, I wanna talk to three groups of people based on this. To moms and dads, and honestly, mostly dads. To the brothers, those of you that are single, not married, single guys, and to the daughters, okay? So to the, to the moms and dads, again, mostly dads, because that's what I am. Here's four things, dads, you can do in raising your daughter, and they're not in order of importance, because number two is actually the most important, but I wanna talk about this one first. One of the most important things that you can do to help raise your daughters is to love mama. I mean, to love mama. To speak life and to like have your children see you just dode over your wife. I am obsessed with Gretchen. I'm on her all the time. A little weird with my in-law sitting over here, but it's just true. A hug and kiss her and make the kids go, oh, you want your kids to be like, I think I'm gonna throw up in my mouth. That just should be like the standard in your home. It should not be abnormal that you're holding hands and that, you're, that you are showing affection towards one another because what I wanna do for my little girl is I wanna raise the bar for her so high for her to see that's what it looks like for a godly man to love a godly woman the way my daddy loves my mama. And you take her out on dates and you spend gobs of money on her and you sit out back and watch the bluebirds build nests. You do all of that all the time. Because I want, I want my daughter to see me love, honor, cherish, value my wife so much that when some little idiot around here devalues Reagan, she'd be like, no, nah, that's not how it goes. I'm telling you, like when somebody comes to pick her up, if, if some car pulls out of my house and honks the horn, they better work for UPS because they ain't taking nothing out of there. Oh, you understand what I'm saying? And I take Reagan out on little dates. I do, man. Take her out wherever she wants to go. Go take her out. Take her to nice places. I take her to places that I know college kids could never ever afford because when some little idiot wants to take her out on a date, she's like, this is terrible compared to what my daddy does. You understand what I'm saying? And I open the doors for her and we get dressed up and I do all that. And the reason I do it is because if she goes on a date and I want her to walk to her door and if they don't open it, she's just gonna take a lap right around the car and just say, nope, that ain't it, uh-uh. <laughs> I'm not trying to raise some little prima donna. What I want to raise is a mature young woman that can identify the difference between a boy that wants to take and, between, and a man that's ready to serve. And listen to me, single guys. Stand up and act like a man because what girls want is they don't wanna marry a boy and try to make him into a man. They wanna marry a man and make babies. You understand the difference? And so stand up and act like a man. Secondly, this is actually the number one thing, but I'm gonna say it second. The thing, dads, you need to do for your daughters, this is for sure true of everybody. You gotta point them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus all the time. Get you a Jesus storybook Bible, no matter how old they are or you are, and read it, because it always points to Jesus. Pray out loud over your daughters. Because here's what's true. I looked this statistic up this week. Did you know that your child has a .003% chance of playing a pro sport? .003% chance of playing a pro sport but your kid has a 100% chance of standing before Jesus one day. And a lot of times I see parents, and I think they're actually competing against one another with their kids and all the activities and stuff they're in. Like, man, I'm pro sports. My kids do some sports, right? But we don't act like it's gonna be there forever because it ain't. And make sure when you go and you're cheering them on, maybe you ask this question, man, I, am I cheering for the first name or the last name? 
because there's a big difference. And then I've, I've seen, you know, JP's in ninth grade now, so there's all this college talk, and what I see a whole bunch of people at church is it seems like you spend, parents are willing to spend way more time, effort, and energy and attention on where your kid's gonna spend the four years after college as opposed to where they're gonna spend forever. Point your kid to Jesus. And let me just tell you this. If you have a sixth through 12th grader and they are not involved in our student ministry right now, make a fist and punch yourself in the nose with it. What are you doing? Seriously, what are you doing, man? We spend millions of dollars around here to help disciple your kids. You are the primary disciple maker in your house. We are not here to replace you. We are here to come along and supplement and help. And every Wednesday night, we have hundreds and hundreds of middle school and high school kids at all of our campuses gathering. And what we as a church are doing, man, we're just tossing you this softball. We're tossing you this big fat softball. There you go, parents. All you gotta do is hit it. I mean, we're just teeing it up for you. We're trying to get them around the right people and they're hearing the right things, around the right leaders. And then sometimes I'll hear you say, well, you know, we... Timmy doesn't really want to go to students. Do I need to remind you, you are the parent. Did you take that excuse when he's like, I don't wanna brush my teeth. Are teeth important? Not in Kentucky and England, but here, yeah. <laughs> so you make them do stuff they don't necessarily wanna do, why? Because you wanna give them what they need. And let me tell you what they need, man. Coach Lee used to say this all the time, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I'm not saying all of our students here are perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but they are at least gathering a couple times a week to make much of Jesus, to pray for one another, to read the Bible, and maybe even more importantly, the adults that love them and care for them. Because what you need, parents, there's coming a day sooner than you think when your kid ain't gonna talk to you anymore about stuff. And I know you think, no, my kid's gonna talk to me because I'm cool. Look, man, you're 40, you're a dork. They ain't gonna talk to you, bro. I'm telling you. I know this to be true, and so what you want is you want them to have some caring adult that loves Jesus and wants to say the kind of things in their life that you would say to them. Look, man, my kid's leader, he's 22 years old, he don't know anything. Only Bible he knows is what I taught him here at this church, do you understand? And yet my kid won't listen to me, and I have degrees in Hebrew and Greek and Old Testament and New Testament, but his 20-year-old leader tells him to do something, and he's like, that's what he said, because he has hair and he thinks that's cool. You understand what I'm saying? Point your kids to Jesus. That's the second. Third, parents, prioritize your children over money. Prioritize your kids over money. The way kids spell love is T-I-M-E. Travel less, drive your car longer, make less money for the sake of time with your kids because what, what a lot of dads are terrible at is they're like, well, the reason I work all this is because of y'all, because y'all want all this stuff. I'm telling you, did you ever ask your family to take a vote? I promise, I bet they would be okay with you driving your car longer to spend more time with them. And especially dads and daughters, this is true of everybody, but have some fun with your kid. When's the last time you did some fun stuff? And listen, man, when I take Reagan out, the things that she wants to do and the things that I wanna do are never the same. They're never the same. They're never the same. But, but it is a good thing to have fun with your kids and pay attention to what you say to them. Speak life into your kids. Speak truth. Build them up. Tell her how awesome she is. Pray some Psalm 139, 14 all the time because think about it, think about it. They're little humans. Do you like hanging out with people that fuss at you all the time? No, if you walked into work every day and they're like, Ted, and somebody's fussing at you, 
The more they get on you, the more you wanna get away from them. Part of the reason your kids wanna get away from you is because you get on them all the time. You're just, you're just no good to be with. Pay attention to this and speak life into your kids. And then finally, dads especially, don't give in. Don't give in. If, if, if you're a stepdad, if, if you're divorced and you got part-time custody, if whatever the situation is, don't quit fighting for the heart of your children and especially those little girls. And it will feel like, it will feel like she will feel like you're fighting with her, but she is worth fighting for. So you fight for, you fight against what this culture says is normal. You don't want normal in this culture. Normal is broke and depressed and alone. You understand? You can have that. Give me the crazy abundant life that Jesus has for us. So you get to determine when the phone happens and when TikTok happens and Instagram and all that stuff and it will be a war and I'm saying it is worth the war. It is worth the war. And don't, and I'm telling you, like we have the clothes battles at my house right now. She's 11 and she comes out of her room in a very cute little outfit and you know, her body's changing and, and, and she's ready to go and I'm like, hey, just lift your hands up and whoop, we show belly and be like, nope, keep getting dressed. Well, Dad, this is the only clothes I can find. Fine, you want me to start being in charge of the clothes finding department? Because I can't, I'll get Mama. Hey, man, Joy's here, your, your grandma's here. She can like, she can like knit you together a denim onesie, you understand? <laughs> we can handle this right now. It's like, look, man, you never know. She's like, you don't understand. I'm like, you're right, I don't understand, but I know this. At any point in your day, praise could happen to us. We could be worshiping Jesus, and you got to be ready. You got to be able to walk around like this without half your stuff showing out, okay? So go get dressed, all right? And I'm telling you, I don't care, I don't care. I'm not going to just give her what she wants, but I want to aim her in a direction that fundamentally she understands this, and we all, I always follow up with this. Hey, listen, baby, listen, listen. First Corinthians 6 says this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. That's it, because what ultimately we want to do is through the gospel communicate the truth that you are valuable. Now, to the brothers, if you are a single guy around here at 1122, I want you to look around at every female here. These are your sisters. You treat them as such. They are not a commodity to be used they are not a person that you think maybe they don't have anything for me, therefore they should be ignored. They are your sisters in Christ and your number one job is to protect your sister. You love, honor, and cherish them. And fellas, as a society, we need to do better. We need to do way, way better. And if you are a serial dater showing up here, because I know there's a bunch of like young, good-looking single people here. I get all that. And so you just, if you sniff it around here for that reason, I would ask you to, you got one of two options. You can repent, confess your sins, repent, apologize to anybody that you've ever treated like a commodity, and then I would give you the right hand of fellowship. But if you're just here to take, you are not welcome here, and I wanna give you the right boot of fellowship. Get out. <laughs> and here's why, man. The Bible talks a whole lot about, it uses all this like flock and shepherding language. And in the Bible, the Bible says there's sheep, there's people that need to be cared for and taught and loved, that there are wolves that come in to devour and take advantage of the sheep, and then there's a shepherd. Now, our chief shepherd is Jesus Christ, and I am his under-shepherd, and the shepherd had a, a rod and a staff. A staff had a crook on it, and you could grab a wayward sheep and bring them back, and it also had a rod on it. And when a wolf came up, you didn't pet the wolf, you didn't train the wolf, you didn't apologize for the wolf. You cracked the wolf in the head till he was dead. Hi, I'm the shepherd, okay? <laughs> 
This will be a place where every female from four years old, four months old, to 40 years old, to 114 years old, and everyone in between will be loved, honored, and cherished because they are a daughter of the Most High King. They are valuable, and they will be treated as valuable, period. And then lastly, to the, daughter, to the daughters. Solomon puts the daughters into two categories. If you are a wall, you're a single girl, and you're trying to do this thing Jesus' way, be patient. Be patient. Don't believe the lie. Jesus is more than enough for you. Jerry Maguire was a liar. No man can completely complete you. Every time I hear that, have you seen a man? Look, this hairless biped is not going to be able to satisfy your soul, okay? All he's gonna do is frustrate you. Run the race that Jesus has marked out for you. If you look around and Solomon happens to be running next to you, run over there with him for a little while, see what happens, all right? Be patient. And if you are a door and you have given yourself away to a man or to men that are not your husband, here's what, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just trying to tell you, you are too valuable for that. You are too valuable for that. You just don't understand how valuable you are. Do you know what it takes for a man to be able to touch you that way? First of all, it takes a man, somebody that is willing to lay his life down for you. This is why sex is not for dating people. Sex isn't for gonna be married people, wanna be married. Sex isn't just a casual endeavor. If you try to, if you try to divorce intimacy from the physicality, then you'll kill the intimacy. And what God has for you is, what he wants you to have is intimacy, first and foremost with him, and then if you get married with your husband. But what it takes for a man to get to touch you that way is he has to, he has to offer up in covenant his whole life to you. This is why the Bible says that husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for you. You see, this, this means that in order for somebody to touch you this way, this is how valuable you are, they have to take all their chips in the covenant of marriage and push them in and say, I'm all in. Look, my, my, my legal chips, my financial chips, my relational chips, my spiritual chips, my sexual chips, they are all in for you for all the days of my life. And so listen, you're too valuable for that. Now the good news about the path principle, whether you're a parent or a brother or a daughter, the good news about the path principle is this invitation from Jesus to repent. Do you know what repent means? Repent just means to change direction. And so maybe as a parent, you were kind of headed in a direction that is not God's ideal for you, Maybe you have little kids and you're thinking we need to be more intentional or maybe you think I blew it because my kid is grown now and I don't think I did these things. You know what, parents? It's never too late. It's never too late. If your daughter's 45 years old and there's some things that you need to call her about and say, hey, listen, I wanna repent and say I'm sorry, but from this day forward, I think we can do better. I think that would be a God-honoring way to spend your afternoon. Maybe your husband and wife, maybe you need to get together and be more intentional about the pathway that you're putting your kid on right now because your kids are still little and at your house where you can change direction. And if you're a brother, single guy here, and if you're honest, you have been treating some women like a commodity, like just trying to take instead of serve, then repent. Change direction. Turn your back on the way you used to act and you put your face towards Jesus and you don't have to do the things you used to do because if you're in Christ, you're not the person you used to be. And then lastly, to the daughters. 
For those of you that with your mouth you say, I am satisfied in Christ, but you feel very dissatisfied in your marital status right now, repent. Bring that to the Lord. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And for those of you that are a door, you have been giving yourself away. I've got some really, really good news. Before Jesus went into full-time vocational preaching and healing ministry, he was a carpenter, and you know what he would do? He used to take broken things and make them whole. He can do that with your life. He can do that in a marriage. He can take two broken people and put them together and make one amazing marriage. I know, that's my story. And so no matter where you are, what you've done, how long you've done it, from this day forward, you can come running back to him. And in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, what we find out here is that there was a son, there was a child who was going in the wrong direction and he got to this place in his life where he came to his senses and he repented. And when he came back, to his loving heavenly father. He did not come back to a lecture. He did not come back to punishment. He did not come back to I told you so. He came back to a robe. He came back to a ring. He came back to shoes. And he came back to a party because his dad says, this is my son who was dead and is now alive. We must celebrate. So if you've been challenged by this 10 weeks in the Song of Solomon, praise God. But if you have felt condemned, that is not the language of the heavenly father because my Bible says, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I would invite the moms and dads, the brothers and the daughters, won't you come to him? Won't you turn your back on the way you used to do things because that's not who you are anymore. And why don't you come to him? And from this day forward, from this day forward, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you please stand, let me pray for you. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we praise you that you are a good, good dad and you love your kids. And Lord, I pray that we would be reminded once again that you are the only one worth building our life on. God, if we try to build our lives on the temporary pleasures of this world that will always let us down. If we try to build our lives on the approval of any man or any woman, we will always be let down. God, if we try to build our lives on just satisfying our temporary wants and feelings, we will always be let down. But when we build our life on you, you never let us down. And God, I thank you. I thank you that you are father to the fatherless. Lord, I thank you that you are more than enough. God, I thank you that your eternal reality is the only thing that can quench our eternal souls. And so God, I pray for the moms and dads, whether their kids are grown or they got little babies at the house, Lord, I pray that starting from this day forward, they would speak life into those relationships. Lord, I pray for the brothers that the single men of 1122 would just be different than everywhere else in this society. They would love, honor, and cherish every daughter that they ever come in contact with. And God, I pray for the daughters. I pray that you ultimately are a good father and that you paid for them with your son, Jesus Christ. They are valuable and they should be treated as valuable. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Church, we're gonna respond. We're gonna sing and bring and pray. We're gonna sing a song about what we're gonna build our life on. We're gonna bring our tithes and our offerings, and we're gonna pray. And I would encourage you, if you got kids, this will be a great opportunity maybe for you to come and kneel before the king to ask for the Spirit of God to help you do all that he has called you to do in the high holy calling it is to raise a son or raise a daughter. Let's respond.